Hello and welcome to Community Connections. I'm your host, Chuck Curlin. Today we're connecting with the Epilepsy Foundation of Eastern Pennsylvania with the CEO and President Elizabeth Bile. Elizabeth, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. So you are the President and CEO of the Epilepsy Foundation. Yeah. How did it start? And give a little bit of background of how this all came to fruition here in Eastern Pennsylvania. Sure. So in 1972, families from around the area joined together because they really felt that there weren't services beyond medical services for people living with epilepsy. So you had um, a number of families, a number of neurologists who said, all right, what can we do that's more? What can we do to educate ourselves? What can we do to educate the larger community? And um, we became the Epilepsy Foundation of Philadelphia originally, mm -hmm. and we were affiliated with Epilepsy Foundation of America. And slowly over time, we've expanded and are now Epilepsy Foundation Eastern Pennsylvania with a goal to bring epilepsy out of the shadows. So you're, you're based out of Philadelphia, but you branch yes. out into the suburbs as well. And Yes, we cover 18 counties in Eastern Pennsylvania. Wow. And the foundation, is it more about just bringing awareness to people or what, what's its, uh, I guess, its mission? Sure. Um, so really our core mission is to end epilepsy through research, education, and advocacy. At the local level, we really focus on the education and the advocacy piece. We are going into schools, we're working with first responders, working with businesses, community organizations, and making sure that anyone who might come into contact with someone with epilepsy can recognize a seizure and know how to respond to a seizure. And then there's the advocacy piece where we are looking at how do people access medical care? How do people access school? How do people access um, education overall? How do they uh, have full integration into the community? Hmm. Well, yourself, I'm, I'm just curious, how did you get involved in this, especially becoming the CEO and president? Is it sure. obviously you didn't start it because it was in 72, <laughs> no. but how did this all come into play? Sure. So I've been involved in the nonprofit world uh, since I graduated college uh, in a variety of ways. I actually took a fairly long detour to Guatemala. I was in the Peace Corps, then worked for another organization called Long Way Home. And about five years ago, I came back to the United States and I was looking for something that would continue in nonprofit world, but also was connected to the health world. I had had a lot of different experiences that helped me see that there's much more that people need besides what you can get at a doctor's office. It's an important piece to your medical care, but in order to be holistic in your approach to mm -hmm. wellness, you need organizations like the Epilepsy Foundation who can educate you on how to be well and how to be empowered with your diagnosis and also how to educate the community so that people are aware and able to assist you when you need help. So knowing now what you know prior to getting involved is it everything that you thought it would be i think it's very different than what i thought it would be when i first joined the organization i had i had some understanding of what a seizure was what epilepsy was i had no idea the strength of the community this is um, it's a very diverse disorder mm -hmm. um, one seizure does not look like another seizure does not look like another seizure and so everyone's experience is unique but yet I find through our programs, like our camp programs, um, our young adult retreat, our conferences, people 
really meet each other where they are. And whether you're living with epilepsy and uh, are living at a very high level, are a CEO yourself, or you're someone living with epilepsy who also has an intellectual disability, people really come together and there's that common bond. Well, I know you're not a medical doctor, but how would someone recognize or know that they might have symptoms of epilepsy? Sure, so the symptom of epilepsy is a seizure. Epilepsy is a brain disorder and a seizure is an electrical disturbance in the brain. They can look very different. I think we're, um, most people um, are, they imagine a seizure as when you fall to the ground and convulse and that is one type of seizure, but they can be very varied they can occur in the entire brain or one part of the brain. So when a seizure starts in one part of the brain, depending on where that seizure occurs, that's what you're going to see. So sometimes, especially uh, with small children, you're seeing these absence seizures where it's just a brief, almost like the light turning off, then back on, off, then back on. And these are hard to diagnose and often missed. But if you're seeing someone who you know, they're, they're literally missing information, mm -hmm. not that they're not paying attention to you. That might be a sign that they have epilepsy and they need to have that checked out. If people, um, if you have someone who starts wandering and um, kind of fumbling at their clothes and has a kind of a vacant stare, mm -hmm. that can sometimes be a seizure as well. Yeah. It's a type of focal seizure. So the person remains um, with a certain level of awareness and they can still walk around, but they're not able to control their movements because of that electrical disturbance in the brain. Now, is epilepsy genetic or is it traumatic? It can be both. Okay. There are many causes of epilepsy. So there are genetic epilepsies. There are epilepsies that can be caused by traumatic brain injury, um, encephalitis, uh, malformation of the brain, tumors. Sometimes people have a tumor and then develop epilepsy. Sometimes people have a stroke and develop epilepsy. But in 60% of cases, the cause of epilepsy is unknown. And um, are there, uh, I guess a good way, are there cures for it or? Uh, what's the foundation's drive? What are they looking sure. for? Sure, so there is currently no cure for epilepsy, and that's a big reason why we've gone to the end epilepsy motto. Mm -hmm. So we, we want to drive towards that overarching goal of driving research, finding a cure. However, in the interim, there's a lot that can happen. So there are a variety of treatments. Most people will take medication. They'll take an anticonvulsant medication, there are about 30% of people that don't respond to treatments that are out there. So if you're not responding to the first two medications that you're given, mm -hmm. you're often looking um, to go to an epilepsy specialist and explore further what might exist for you. Um, have you ever heard of the ketogenic diet? Yes. Okay, so the ketogenic diet or the modified Atkins are two dietary therapies that work for a certain um, segment of the epilepsy population. The ketogenic diet is very high in fat, very low in carbs. carbs yeah. And the process that your body uses to break down the fat is actually shown to help with seizure reduction. Ah. Then you also have surgical options. So if they can, um, as I said, if a seizure starts in a specific part of the brain and your team, your medical team can locate that, there are a couple options. They can go in and they can do a resection. They mm -hmm. can do uh, laser ablation is another option. 
um, just re either removing that portion or destroying that tissue. There are also a number of devices. We're getting further and further along with what's called neuromodulation. So you see the vagus nerve stimulator, responsive nerve stimulator, deep brain stimulator. So these are things when people are not responsive to medications, are not a candidate for a resection or a laser ablation. These are other interventions that can help improve their quality of life and reduce their seizure frequency. You personally knowing, seeing a lot of this, do you think that the, med the med medicine route is a better way to go or the, or the operational end? It depends on the person because for some people, the current surgical options that we have are not options for them. Okay. So it really depends on the person. And I think um, most people are going to respond to medication. And the goal of epilepsy treatment is no seizures, no side effects. So if you can be on a medication with minimal or no side effects, your seizures are controlled, I think that's a great way to go. But I'm very glad that we're consider continuing to increase the options available for people. Elizabeth, you gave us a nice foundation of what the Epilepsy Foundation is all about here in Eastern Pennsylvania. But um, I'd like to ask a little bit about uh, finding out the incidents and obviously first aid and a number of things that our viewers might be able to take home. Sure, so the big statistic that we talk about is one in 26. One in 26 people will develop epilepsy in their lifetime. Currently, the CDC estimates that are, there are 3.4 million Americans living with active epilepsy. So it's not rare. Mm -hmm. I think um, there's, because it's not talked about, we often think, oh, this is something that not many people have. It doesn't, it's never gonna affect me. Another thing that's important for us to talk about is that it can occur at any point in your life. It doesn't just show up when you're a child. It's something that does, um, you see more young children and adults over 65 diagnosed, but yet at any point in your life, this could happen. Wow, so um, if I spotted somebody that was having a seizure, what would be the first piece of advice you would give me on how to handle that situation? Sure. So first thing I would say is stay calm. Okay. Um, it might be scary depending on what you're seeing. And uh, so we follow this model of stay safe, calm. So st uh, stay safe side. Okay. Stay calm, stay with the person. Mm -hmm. You don't wanna leave that person alone. Even if they're someone who's been diagnosed with epilepsy, they have a history, they're used to having seizures on a regular basis, we do want that person to be safe. And so stay with that person, keep them safe. If they are having a convulsive seizure and they've fallen, mm -hmm. um, you wanna cushion their head. If you have a pillow, if you have something nearby and can put that under their head, wonderful. If you don't, um, I, we often talk at, in our training programs that you can just cradle your hands right underneath the person's head just to provide a little bit of protection for that area. And you wanna roll them onto their side if they have fallen. And the reason we do this is that there's a natural depression of the respiratory system that occurs and you can have saliva that builds up in the mouth. So this maintains the airway open so that even with a depressed depression of the breathing, the airway is open and then you don't have any aspiration of that saliva into the lungs. If the person's able to walk around, mm -hmm. you wanna guide them. You don't want to startle them. You don't want to hold them. You don't want to restrain them. You want to allow them to move within their environment, but keep them from walking out into traffic, tripping over um, something that's potentially hazardous. The other thing that's really important is timing the seizure. 
And why we say you should time a seizure is because most seizures are going to resolve on their own in a fairly quick period of time. You know, 30 seconds, 90 seconds, that seizure will have resolved. But if a seizure lasts more than five minutes, you want to be calling 911. Okay. Yeah, because I remember you, you explaining some of the seizures you don't even know are occurring. Like Correct. with the, the, the blank Correct. stare, is there anything to combat that? or With a seizure, an absence seizure, where someone just has that momentary lapse, mm -hmm. you really don't need to do anything. You, um, For example, I babysat for um, a young boy who had absence seizures, and I remember his mom saying, okay, most important thing is, you know, stay with him. We, the, they kept the training wheels on his bike because he might have it and, and fall over. So there's not a lot you can do when someone has that type of seizure, but keep them safe. Right. I, I I know I'm not sure how true this is, but I, I was I remember hearing this when someone was having a seizure, they'd have them bite down on something or put the, put something in their mouth. Is that a fallacy or yes? Oh, okay. Yes. So there's there's a couple things. One, you cannot swallow your tongue, so okay. there's no reason to to either hold the tongue or, um, and you also do not want to enter anything into the person's mouth. Um, by putting something, you're, you're not in control of your movements when you're having a seizure. So you put something into the person's mouth that you could harm yourself. You know, um, you could also, they could chip a tooth, they could bite down and break that and have it aspirate into their lungs. So it's actually more dangerous to enter something into their mouth. So instead of doing any of that, you just gently roll the person onto their side. Uh, that's a good segue because you mentioned danger and dangerous. Um, uh an acronym that I hear a lot is SUDEP. Can you explain a little bit what that's all about? Sure, so SUDEP is one of those things that can be difficult to talk about, but it's important to talk about. It stands for Sudden Unexpected Death in Epilepsy. And it affects about one in 1,000 people with epilepsy. And it's when, um, unfortunately, there is nothing we can do to prevent it other than controlling seizures. And so people who have three or more convulsive seizures a year are more likely to be at risk of SUDEP. And as I said, unexplained. We don't know why it's happening, but it's when someone um, has a seizure and they die. So, so patients or people who have this disease, are they usually seen regularly by a neurologist or is it by their family practitioner? No, it's, it's by a neurologist. Now, if you are someone who um, responds to your first medication, you're probably seeing a general neurologist. If you're someone who has not responded to the first two medications it, or it, it continues to have seizures, you're gonna wanna see what's called an epileptologist. And we have amazing epilepsy centers throughout the 18 counties where we work. And I think we're very lucky where we are in Pennsylvania because that care is available to us. But if you're saying, oh, I'm only having two seizures a year, mm -hmm. you know, ah, oh, my medication's working enough. We say, you know what, if your medications, if you're still having those seizures, you probably should be seen at an epilepsy center. Are there different grades of epilepsy? Like, are they ranked? Like, is there like a stage one, stage two? So they're not ranked. Some oh, okay. people will they will refer to big seizures, little seizures. Right. But sometimes what people call little seizures can actually be very, very harmful because you'll be having so many of them that they're affecting your cognition. They're affecting your ability to complete tasks in your daily life. Wow. Yeah, I, I was curious because... Obviously, people that suffer from this, there, there, there is help, and that's why the foundation's yeah. here. 
is there is there a protocol on like say somebody that reaches out to the epilepsy foundation um, what are some of the, I guess, the inquiries that are made? Sure. So we um, we have people all the time calling us, be especially about school trainings. Okay. That's something that is a huge piece of what we do. They call us up. They say, you know what? My child um, is entering school. They're entering kindergarten or my child is in sixth grade. They just started having seizures. I want my school to know what to do. And so we can go in and do trainings with the school nurses, teachers, paraprofessionals, students, make sure everyone's aware. Some of the calls as well that we get are people who say, you know, I've been told I have something called epilepsy. Can you talk to me about what that is? I just don't understand it. Because oftentimes in a doctor's office, you're overwhelmed, you're hearing probably half of what the doctor says right. going, ah, <laughs> so we can take the time to break down what this diagnosis means. We also get a lot of calls for legal referrals, um, referrals to physicians, people who, like I said, who are saying, you know what, I've been seeing a general neurologist. They told me I need to see an epileptologist. Who do you recommend? And so we keep um, an extensive list of all the centers in our region so that we can refer people. Yeah, because I, I was thinking like, um, I asked about the stages because of like, say, driving an automobile. Correct. It could be dangerous to others if you're going to have a seizure yes. while you're driving. Yeah. Is there something in place for something like that? So in Pennsylvania, the law requires you to be seizure free for six months to have your license. Okay. And physicians are mandated reporters. So if someone has a seizure, it doesn't matter whether it's a convulsive seizure or a seizure where there's just a brief loss of awareness. Um, but if that seizure occurs, you do need to lose your license for, um, until you are six months seizure free. Elizabeth, in the last two segments, you gave us a lot of foundation on epilepsy. Um, I know awareness is a big key for your foundation. Uh, what are some of the things that you're doing, what you're implementing to make people aware of the disease? So educational programs are a big piece of what we do. We host community education programs throughout the 18 counties. Another huge piece are our Walk to End Epilepsy Pennsylvania series. We host three walks in the region, one in the Wyoming Valley region, mm -hmm. one in the Lehigh Valley region, and one in Philadelphia. These are held every year in the spring and summer, usually in June for our Philadelphia area walk. Mm -hmm. And um, they're an amazing opportunity to gather our community together and gather people who are supporters of the epilepsy community together. In, at our Philadelphia Walk, we host that at Citizens Bank Park. We usually have just over 2,000 people. We'd love to grow it even more if we could. So you run the bases? Um, <laughs> we didn't get to run the bases every year. It kind of depends on the weather, but it's one of the things that we always put on, like, if the weather's okay, can we do this? And um, we'll see. It, does the walk take place in, inside inside, inside the park it's inside oh, okay. the park so um what usually what happens is people do about four laps around that main concourse and then a final lap around the warning track and then if the weather's nice maybe on the bases but you know ah, they, so they got to keep the field nice for the phillies that's right that is exactly right now, now during the walk do you have a lot a number of vendors that partake we do we do we have a lot of the local hospitals um, pharmaceutical companies other service providers for epilepsy that are there oh wow and so people that are there do you wind up getting a lot of volunteers to get involved and like say someone that is watching this program now how would you advise them to get involved with the foundation so call us 
Okay. <laughs> That's always, you know, call us, check out our website, see what's out there. And a big way that people get involved is through fundraising. Um, it takes a lot of money to do what we do. All of our programs are free of charge to the community. We also have people, um, if you're a medical professional, you can come and volunteer at camp um, or our young adult retreat. That's something that it's a wonderful way to give back. What I wanted to ask yeah. is the camps, um, are they held in the same spot or are they different locations throughout the year? So we have, um, we have a one week summer camp. It's held at Camp Green Lane just outside of Harleysville okay. in Green Lane, yes. Pennsylvania. And it's it's amazing. We've grown. Um, so it started in 1997 and it was just a weekend retreat. Oftentimes family members would come as well. And in 2006, we had our first full week overnight, no parents, and there were 20 kids. Okay. Uh, now we're up to 70 kids. Oh, wow. So it's really growing. It's, uh, it's fun because when you're living with an epilepsy diagnosis, you're often told, oh, you can't do this. You can't go swimming. You can't do gym class. And not necessarily because you can't, but because there's a fear. And so what we do is we provide all of the safety protocols. We have nurses there 24 seven. All of our counselors are trained in seizure first aid. We train the lifeguards. And so you wanna do the climbing wall? You, you can, can try do. the climbing wall. You wanna get up and perform in the talent show, you can get up and perform in the talent show. You have a seizure, nobody's laughing at you. Right. They're cheering for you. They're saying, you know what? You were brave and we're really sorry this happened to you, but we understand. Right. What's the counselor ratio to the camp members? You... Sure, sure. So we've, it's about um, three campers to every counselor. Oh, wow. We, so keep, it, we, we keep it very low. Yeah. yeah. Most of our counselors also have epilepsy. Many of them attended the camp when they were younger. So it's a great opportunity for them to mentor. So I know you mentioned there's swimming, there's theater. I'm sure there's sporting sports, events. Sports, yes. yeah. We do soccer, basketball. Um, we do archery, the the rope wall, canoeing. Mm -hmm. we, have, uh, we have a group that comes in and helps us with the canoes every year. Oh, wow. So it's a really nice event. Yes. Now it's one of our favorite weeks of the year. And it's and that's just once a year. We do. We do. We host okay. it once a year. We also have a young adult retreat for ages 18 to 30, okay. just a weekend. And is that done multiple times throughout the year? Or is that just right one? now? It's just once. And, and now where would that take place? That also takes place at Camp Green Lane. And Obviously, the curriculum is a lot different than the day. Yes. Uh, can you ex expand on that? So with the with the young adults, some of it is the same. We um, but we're focusing on wellness. We call it the young adult wellness retreat. So how do you as a young adult live your best life? So talking about a lot of relaxation techniques, as well as what's your elevator pitch, whether you're applying for college, going to a job, just telling somebody your epilepsy story so that you can be safe in the community. How do you do that? Sometimes we talk about financial literacy. Sometimes we talk about um, how to talk to your doctor, how to advocate for yourself in the doctor's office, things that are important when you're younger, but crucially important when you reach that young adult age. Yeah, I'm curious. I, I forgot to ask this earlier. Is there a 24-7 um, hotline for epilepsy? So there is a 24-7 hotline. It's run by the Epilepsy Foundation of America. Call that anytime. There's amazing information and referral specialists that can provide assistance. And if it's an issue that's local, they'll, they will then refer you to your local office and help you get local services. 
Yeah, and, and you being here in the local office, especially in the Delaware Valley, do you find it the national send a lot of information your way to help your cause here in the Delaware Valley? Definitely, I think it's the the network of Epilepsy Foundation affiliates. There's um, 50, more than 50 affiliates and chapters throughout the country. And being connected with a larger community that is aware of how epilepsy affects people in different parts of the country and being able to bring different nuances to what education looks like, what stigma exists in different parts of the world has really improved the work that we're doing and it really informs what you can do locally, as well as getting a common brand nationally. We're really going, moving towards that end epilepsy. Let's use our brains to end epilepsy and trying to create a call to action that whether you're in Philadelphia, you're in Arizona, you're in Washington state, you can see end epilepsy and know that that's the Epilepsy Foundation and know that you can get involved uh, and use your brain to end epilepsy. A question that I'm curious because a lot of people don't know this, in the Delaware Valley, there's a very good hospital systems. Yes. Probably some of the best hospital systems in the country are right here in the Delaware Valley. Do you have a joint uh, venture with any like Hahnemann or Jefferson University of Pennsylvania? So we actually, we have a professional advisory board and all of the local, the local epilepsy centers are represented on our professional advisory board, Jefferson, Penn, Drexel, Hahnemann, Temple, St. Chris, CHOP. We've got strong, strong support from those medical system. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, as we wind down the program, someone that wants to get involved in the Epilepsy Foundation, how would they go about doing so? Sure, I would say give us a call. Or you can go to our website at efepa.org. Mm -hmm. There That's you go. efepa.org. And you get on that site, it will tell you everything you need to do. And Yep. So you can go on there and you can find out about our upcoming programs, opportunities to volunteer, how you contact us. There's a lot of resources. Well, Elizabeth, it's been great having you as our guest here today and wish, wish you much more success in the future with the Epilepsy Foundation. Thank you very much, Chuck. Our guest today has been Elizabeth Bile. She is the president and CEO of the Epilepsy Foundation of Eastern Pennsylvania. We'd like to thank you for watching. From all of us here at UMGA Television, I'm Chuck Curlin.